Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck. With me today, I have the fiddler on the rock, Tyler Carson, Uh violinist extraordinaire. He can't be separated from his violin. It's here with us on the table. If you're watching the podcast, if you're listening, I will describe it to you. It's a violin. It has four strings. There's also a bow that goes with it because you're not supposed to pluck you're not supposed to pluck the violin, but you pluck it, man. I sure do. Why? I even strum it. Yeah. Well, you know, like the first time I saw that, I was like eight years old, and a friend of mine was playing chords with it because he could actually go. And for the fiddle tunes that we were playing at a young age, that was plenty. And I remember the first time I learned that it was at a fiddle competition, which I kind of loathe okay as as on several levels uh, hmm. but there's other good things about it anyway we would all be camping during the weekend and i stayed up later than i ever had i think as a little kid and i was just like playing those five chords or whatever i had learned so oh, right on and the it just expands the the reason why that was so exciting was that it expands the the um the nature of the instrument yeah because the violin is typically not a rhythm instrument no. And so it's actually recently developed in the folk world that it's starting to become used in different ways as a as a folk in, uh, as a rhythm instrument. And if you haven't seen the set that you played, you need to watch that on YouTube. So pause this podcast right now and watch Treasure Valley Live Fiddler on the Rock because you use the violin in some extremely novel ways, going from filling in percussive elements, filling in the bass register, uh, playing it like Jimi Hendrix would play an electric guitar, and then also just playing it like a violin. Left-handed, I play it left-handed. Yes, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. You flip, you flip the strings <laughs> around. I count the fact that I am left-handed uh, and, and play the violin. That should be like left-handed. True. Yeah, playing. left-handed, but you can't. They don't restring them for people. No, do they? no. And there's, I don't understand why it's left or right-handed anyway. It's just that the majority of violin players are right-handed and it's always played on that shoulder. So they call that right-handed. Oh. I don't know about that. Yeah. We're going to have to call that out. Yeah. Well, I get, yeah, I think about it on the guitar and your left hand is doing all the, all the work. It seems like the right hand is just, right. is just strumming. You'd think I, your dominant hand would be better in the, like the details, yep. which seems like it should be the left hand. But I think that's... Um, it's just a dude thing because your dominant hand is good at like you know large motions yes repetitive yes motions balls as far as we can exactly chopping wood yep <laughs> that's exactly that's what, what i was you're thinking talking about right yeah okay <laughs> uh we shouldn't go there this is on youtube oh no we can flag it as adult all right oh no but they yeah you can't do too much on youtube i don't know i didn't hear anything adult on that oh good yeah neither did i totally yeah, that was just that internal monologue, and that doesn't have a, a microphone That's on this right. podcast. That's right. Yeah, you were safe. Uh, your violin experience. Mm-hmm. You were talking about going to a violin competition at the age of eight. Oh, yeah, so eight. I was like eight years old. So yeah. when did you start playing violin, and how many hours of your life do you think you've put into the violin? Right, I've thought about that, and I, it's always actually kind of humbling in terms of like, oh, I just got to 10,000. I think I've done the math in the past and went, I just got to 10,000. Oh, it really? doesn't seem right. I've been playing for 30 years. <laughs> uh, no, I doubt that. <laughs> Plus. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, um, when I was a kid, I started when I was five years old. Okay. Which is average for violin, uh, violin students. 
often okay. they'll start at like three or four. Wow. You know, six is starting to get late. <laughs> so if you're out there and you're eight and you're watching this podcast get for inspiration to become a violinist, it's already too late. <laughs> you're screwed. <laughs> just go work in the coal mine. Actually, maybe just choose a different instrument to begin with. Oh, yeah, I guess. In trouble. The more I play, the more I'm like, dang it, why did I choose this one? <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah, so I, yeah, it's just very demanding in many ways. And as I'm getting older, my body is um, requiring more and more maintenance and support for the fact that it's always doing this. You know, it's not really good for your neck and everything else. But, um, well, until they start breeding human beings with the right DNA to where their neck is always cricked. Those are my children. Just one giant (laughs) bowing arm. Like some sort of like mutant musician. Yeah. So it's so you're saying as you get older, it's well, it's harder and harder to to maintain the time. Yeah. Into like, the instrument. Yeah. Exactly. We've um, had some of that discussion off air, and and the muscles in general. You know, Maxim Vingerov, who's one of my favorite classical musicians um, or violinists. Um, he I've seen recently on a YouTube post commenting about someone else who's like 19 and playing he's like you got to watch your technique there because you know in 10 20 years when your tendons start getting tighter you're not going to be able to just whip off those those runs and things in the way that you're doing oh you wow approach it a little bit differently and that's actually part of what makes him so brilliant is that his sound comes out of his body in the way that i've been learning recently with uh tai chi so okay. i started doing tai chi about 10 years ago and in the last few years, I've met a, um, a master level uh, practitioner who also really loves audio. So he's an audiophile. That's convenient. <laughs> and uh, I played the violin and he would start being like, hey, what if you like round your shoulders a little bit more and, you know, draw. And then we do some some Tai Chi work or I train literally pressing on a tree, like getting feeling the resistance in my body the way that because if you push on on a on an object if you're paying attention, you can find out where in your body you're locking. Hmm. So and so you'll be like, oh, I'm trying to hold my hold it here or here. And Tai Chi people, it should go through the whole body. So the whole body is it's about coordination, and that actually kind of creates. Uh, hmm, uh, it, it would immediately, if you understand experience of, of playing an instrument, it creates almost like a body resonance. Okay. So your body is connected with the instrument completely. And so Maxim Vengerov kind of plays like that. So violin teachers, good um, soloists will talk about the sound coming from their back. So you're not playing with your fingers and your forearm. You're you're actually trying to grow the, the sound, right? It comes all the way from your back, but it actually comes from your toes and your feet. And, um, and so when I was starting to work with a Tai Chi, um, instructor playing music it really opened a lot of new understanding about creating sound and has started to relieve some of that pressure on my body that otherwise has been like cranking my neck and i started jutting my head forward a lot and that was causing um different pain and things and so i've been learning that i can actually restore that even though many chiropractors and even the physiotherapists i'm working with like well you're kind of that's the way you are it's like well it wasn't before yeah so i try to keep my mind as open as i can like that right on so there's some tips for people so if you're nine or ten or whatever (laughs) yeah that's where we were after after your body starts falling apart from playing violin (laughs) 
Start you getting can, Tai Chi with the violin lessons. Yeah, right away. Yeah. Right away if you want to last a long well, time. Well, that'll, that'll crank up your hours. You're asking about hours. Like when I was um, five, I, I only played for like 15 minutes a day. Oh, okay. Because it was like between that and all the other things that my parents had us doing. And I'm nervous. I'm sweating. See, yeah, it has nothing I'm, to do with the air conditioning in our studio. <laughs> no, or lack thereof. <laughs> Excuse me? It's all good. Um, and... Uh, and then I, I, it was because of fiddle music that I actually kept playing. Because okay. I, I think in a lot of ways, because for me, it was getting on stage that meant, meant a lot and having that interaction with people because music is such a living process. I was just, experience. I was going to ask you what drives you as an artist. And that's pretty much it. You performing? Know, like discovering where, um, well, performing is, is a function of the thing that drives it, which is this living experience of, of, um, connection to something that we can't otherwise communicate with music brings to life expression of the human nature that doesn't happen and even nature nature you know a bird's pretty but when it starts to sing a beautiful song it's a whole nother level right yeah so i've that's like a pinpoint of what grows out of my many thoughts around music right on <clears throat> just a lot of positive vibes yeah sure in yeah. general as long as they're in tune Yes. Or, or appropriately tuned. Because <laughs> there's in tune and there's out of tune and there's really out of tune. And out of tune is not necessarily out of tune. Okay. The one. So, so really out of tune is when, when someone doesn't realize they're out of tune? Is that? Yeah, that's actually a really good way to put it. Okay. Yeah. Because, for example, um, when I was getting into the more advanced studies with scales, my violin teacher would be saying, yeah, as depending on the key that you're in, the tonality, that the, the slight intonation changes. And the simplest way to describe that would be like on a scale going up, that the intonation is leaning high. And so it's drawing the music forward. It's drawing the listener forward feeling, mm -hmm. up feeling. And then when it's coming down, it's usually leaning downwards. Now, when it's in a piece, it's, it can go in all different directions, but as a, as a violinist, you're actually cultivating that kind of awareness. And if you're somebody like Maxim Mengroff, who is light years ahead of my technique, even though I've got very good technique relative to any um, full-time player, um, but he's just extraordinary. And going back to the 10,000 hour thing, he would have been playing three, four hours a day when he was five years old. Oh, wow. And by the time you're 12, you're playing six hours a day. And the rule of thumb is you need to know all your technique by the time you're like 18. Dang. In part, I think because the body has to be able to withstand the abuse of hours and hours and hours of this one directional movement. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. I kind of want to go back to when you were talking about the scales because myself having played a fretted instrument all the time, uh, and, you know, dabbling like in the piano and keyboard, I I started reading a, a, mm. a basic book about music theory. I forgot what it's called, but essentially they're talking about like the doubling of the frequency is, is, is where you get your octaves. And so mathematically, when you throw that in there, all they did with the piano was like, they kind of like chose like where the dissonance was going to be the least amount, which is oh, the same with, which, which is the same with a guitar fretboard because there's mm -hmm. only a certain amount of like it all needs to be standard tuned to like whatever the the 440 and then yeah, they pick um, they pick yeah. those notes but on the violin because it's not fretted and i suppose other fretted unfretted instruments or other instruments that you can adjust without you know having the like note the be the notes yeah, yeah the, the voice being able to ad yeah. adjust that that intonation to where it mm -hmm. is actually more pleasant versus it's more what emotional 
Okay. It can be more emotional, I think. Right on. In that way and through intonation. Um, yeah, like what you're talking about with the piano is a tempered scale, I think. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. Like and the way, as I recall, like the, the way they choose the actual, the, the actual, the reason there's 12 notes in a, in a scale is because every time you divide the scale or divide the string, you get a different note. Um, and it goes up an octave. And it's like you're saying half and half and. Yeah, I don't. I gotta look into that again. But it's a. It was a very simple system of Pythagorean uh, harmonics that naturally fell into those notes. Mm -hmm. But then, in order to make the violin or the piano be able to function in tune, they had to temper it. So they had, like exactly like you're saying, they had to make uh, allowances to move away from perfect. Yes. Pitch. And that's the same. Curious guitar similar situation yeah but you can obviously bend the strings on the guitar to 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 make adjustments if you're playing the melody line yeah. and but, even if you press hard on it it'll on yes the fret, it'll, it'll do it right yeah and that was one of the things that blew my mind about the um the violin again with in college i was studying with this great teacher and um he was saying like the intonation at this point is as much about pressure as it is about placement of your finger hmm. um because when you press even on the I don't know if it's it's partially your finger get becoming flatter as you press on the flesh of your finger tip, it gets wider. Oh, so that might be it. But also, you can bend it a little bit, and and certainly if you roll your finger either direction, it, um, it changes it the changes frequency. Yeah. Wow, I mean, we're we're geeking out pretty hard. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, it, hope your listeners are into music. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of musicians that listen to this podcast. So I think we're I think the we're bow good. changes it too. Oh, I bet. When you when you play farther away from the bridge, it goes flat, and the closer you get to the bridge, it goes slightly sharper. Hmm. So, and and it also the tonality changes. So it's it's bright near the bridge, and it's and it's duller farther away, okay. which kind of makes sense again with like the brighter is sharper, and then the flatter is duller. Hmm. Feeling. So that's so yeah. It's all connected. There's a lot of different things you have to take into account when you're playing violin, basically, yeah. is what yeah, you're saying. Totally. Which is why the technique which is of why like it's how like, you why stand. Why choose this beast? <laughs> My goodness. The kazoo. You could probably right? still master that yeah, if you absolutely. wanted to pick it up today and just sell your violin. I, I bet you could get a lot of kazoos. I think I could yeah. <laughs> for that price. Um, so you uh, have done a lot when it comes to music. Um, what do you wish more people knew? about being a quote-unquote professional musician? Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it would have to boil down to musical education. I yeah. want, I would like people to have more of a reference point of what it means to have music in their life. Because I think if, if we realize and recognize the value of that, it, it becomes a pretty quick process to recognize the value of those who make the music that we love the most. So you're talking musical education in more general terms and not the stuff we were nerding out about as far as frequencies. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yes, good point. <laughs> musical education as in as in getting a chance to play some instruments as a kid yeah. and learn that it has, there's a magic to it. And I think that's coming back in our culture because um, it got sanitized out by, by the commercialism of record labels. Yeah. And, um, and I think a lot of people don't even really realize why that happened um it's a function of the industry where it's like if you're going to invest money in something you're you're best off investing in something that sounds like a previously successful artist yeah so that made all artists strive to sound like the last artist mm -hmm. and it and then until it just sanitizes out all 
personal expression. And, um, and when that happens, I think people actually lose a sense of value about music because it is disposable. It is something that can be every 10 years, it's a new pop star that kind of is giving the same emotional content. Yeah. So why do we stop? Like, why would we care about listening to music? You know, so it's not really just on the listeners and it's also on the artists and take responsibility for like getting their music out there. Yeah. Um, but that is, that is also the end of why I want people to appreciate music. Cause if they do, then it's easier to get your music out there. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about the commercialization of things and people striving to, to become more, I guess, for lack of a better term, mainstream, which at the same time leads to a lack of diversity in musical expression, which is super important in being able to identify with music because if everybody is, because it's, you know, obviously like to me in my mind, like pop music has whatever innate, uh, use of like rhythm and melody to, to just drill itself into your brain Mm -hmm. to where it's there. Mm-hmm. like baby shark or whatever right. you know like certain things you, they can they can figure out how to trigger um if you're a producer to to get like whatever emotional tone same thing well, in film like if you have a score swell and you know you you, you kind of like get a close-up of a character that then has a sad face like it's like the audience is going to react in a certain way mm-hmm. to this um but that's just that's that's a tool that's not necessarily art well we talked about this actually in our first interview that we did a ways back oh actually it was we we're talking about um dopamine this is i mm. learned this from the this is your brain this is your brain on music yeah and um it's a wonderful book that kind of shook things up a little bit about 10 15 years ago and it's all about getting dopamine hits which are the result of pre- accurately predicting what's coming next it's it connects with our survival mechanism. Oh yeah. And so that's what pop music is. And that sent me down a tangent of researching dopamine now. So you were the one that triggered it for me. Perhaps. Because dopamine yeah. is is such an interesting uh neurotransmitter and it and it does basically create or destroy drive. That's like very overly simplistic, but it can assist in like creating like people to drive for more or um or, or, like, or just or yeah fine. yeah be like more you know depressed about something and not wanting to do it or angry or lowered expectations love dopamine would cause that yeah yeah so yeah I, I went on a on a i totally nerded out about all that after our conversation now that i remember that and it was it was it bleed it bleeds into every aspect of your life like as far as like if you're going to a party and it sucks and you have high expectations of it, mm-hmm. like you're like you you never want to go over to that place again Ever or that again. house. <laughs> um, but if you're not expecting something and it's somewhat decent, then you're better off because you're gonna enjoy it more. Like exactly. it's it, like enjoyment is like very uh, very related to expectations, which music is like. And I think if you've created music, you you naturally train yourself to to think more openly. Mm-hmm. And that's something I'm I'm really curious about and hoping we're going to see a lot more of is artists like in this context having conversations which i love treasure valley podcast for thank you um, yeah it's amazing the great so listen to treasure valley podcast right uh, if you're listening to this yeah it's because we need to with it musicians are training their brain to operate differently than people that aren't doing a creative process every day it really is amazingly and that only becomes more 
clear to me as I, as I grow older and have more experiences and start to understand other people's experiences more. Um, so if we can have organic music, independent music is generally where to find that you're going to naturally start to help yourself start to have different expectations if, mm-hmm. uh, or rather lack of expectations and have more openness and freedom yes. in your own enjoyment of music and it'll grow. And I think that's where people that are real music lovers will maybe turn up their nose at lots of people that are listening to regular pop music or whatever. And like, yeah. how can you listen to that? You know? And I don't think that's really um, helpful, but there's a, I think there's a validity yeah. to, and it's, and it really comes down to some fundamental stuff about our brain and yeah. Yeah. Or maybe even picking apart some of those pop songs and trying to figure out what aspect is because you know oh, you like when the bass drops like oh check out this this artist who does something somewhat so, similar mm-hmm. you know but it's it's a little bit more unique because it's not just about the bass drop right hitting totally um for you what are some what are some highs and lows obviously we kind of talked a little bit about the highs and being able to perform and connect with people mm-hmm. um, but what are some some of the lows that you've experienced as a musician that a lot of people might not be aware of. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about that. Um, if you're comfortable yeah, answering no, that. It, I mean, um, it's, I'm just thinking, it's just the, what you would mostly expect in that if you don't get received by something that's important to you and it's your job, it has even more effect on your personal well-being than if it's just a job that you care about, but you could always go get another job. Okay. Yeah. As a musician, everything is wrapped together. So I think that is really not appreciated by people unless they dive into it. And, um, that's where again, music education would help, but there's also just some basic things. Like I was recently offered or yeah, I was offered to perform in my hometown um, for a big city event that they were doing, uh, community organizing and they were putting all this effort into it. And, you know, there's, and I live in Sedona, Arizona, which has a lot of money <laughs> per capita. Um, and, um, I managed to find the only like rent controlled apartment in town, by the way. <laughs> um, oh, so that's how we live there. Um, and they, and they said, but it doesn't pay anything, but there'll be lots of people there. And I, and it's just amazing that people, this is a, a wise person who is also thoughtful and caring, but they didn't have enough awareness to realize just what an pig headed notion that is, you know, when was the last time you asked a carpenter to build a house for you for free, you know, or fix people the door. will be there to see it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, my favorite line though is it came from a guy who was I played with when I was younger in Victoria, and he was ten years older. And um, he, when I'd say, "Oh, we got we got offered this gig, but you know it should be good exposure," he says, "Yeah, well, you can die of exposure." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's that's a really good. I think that's in a nutshell. Exposure doesn't feed you, and there are open mic nights for a reason. Right. I feel like. Exactly. If I want to go play for free, that's not hard to do. Yeah. You can play for free in front of a captive audience Yeah, every night of the week, even here in Boise, I'm pretty sure. Well, no, maybe not like Friday and Saturday. I don't think there's open mics on Friday and Saturday because there are uh, enough people excellent. To, to go drink in the bar. Oh, I see. You know, right. but, but. I was the, hoping there was a live band being paid on those days. Oh, yeah. I in mean. In some cases it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually, I mean, 
even in the bars, yeah, they'll have they'll have paid performers that'll you know bring their acoustic guitar or whatever at at, at a lot of them yeah. here actually. I think Boise's you know. got a new a good thing going on. There's a there's there's some poppin' artists that are doing some really vibrant um, exchanges and and you know again this podcast being an example of it and the people that have been on it. Um, I've been really fortunate in the last couple of weeks to hang out with some of them and and uh, it's. It's some of the things that I experienced back in my hometown of Victoria, BC, which is very folk oriented, hmm. which means um, it's kind of naturally assumed in the culture that you get together and play music. But oh, right it's another leap when it's your original music and you're opening the door to say, hey, let's get together and play music. Okay, That's a, that's a bold cre- um, creative step to take. And it also um, demonstrates a lot of confidence in your own process and your knowledge of who you are as an artist so where the hardship comes as an artist is all wrapped into one um as i was trying to describe um with work and and judgment and and opportunity um but the good news is if you work hard at something and you overcome personal challenges it's especially personal challenges that are that pay off um when you overcome those things on the other side is something way better than you ever could have intentionally tried to work your way toward. You don't work your way toward fame and riches and happiness. You work your way toward happiness and goodness. And sometimes fame happens. And if that happens, you can maintain the happiness. Yeah. But you can't do it the other way around. And that's what I see in Boise with people pursuing what matters to them yeah. and being generous enough and brave enough to open that door um so um i i feel like i should you know even name who they are but uh, <laughs> you hang around the boise scene check out the boise scene yeah, yeah it's it's really solid treasurevalleylive.com you can listen to all of the all not Perfect. all of all of the musicians but you can listen to fill around it's the rock so amazing and quite a few of the musicians that have been able to fit into our tiny little studio here at lower gentry studios um Kind of, you started to touch on a question I had for you when you were when you were talking about uh, overcoming personal adversity and how important that is. Starting from a a point of being content with what you do, which I mean, for for me on this podcast, that has been pretty easy. I've done my best not to you know like push it into the realm of like oh let's make it commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people I've had people reach out to me about advertising on it um but it was a it was a bad fit and so rather Mm -hmm. than like burn that bridge and change what i had to do here to like shoehorn that in it was like not doing it wow you know um but uh so just so you know i'm just like i'm just like batting away money left and right no it wasn't (laughs) it it was it was a really cool guy and i'm just like i you know i I really appreciate that you want to support but you know you can support in this way in this way and rather than rather than advertising um but for you um, what sacrifices have you made for your art that maybe people don't know about or they wouldn't guess? Um, well, I think my voice actually is maybe that. <laughs> um, and, and like I was saying about my, my body, so when I was um, 18, I first had a glitch in my voice. Okay. And call it that. Basically a little spasm. And over the next few years, it turned into something called spasmodic dysphonia, which is a full-blown medical condition that they don't understand. Yeah. But they, 
they were like, yeah, we can fill your throat with Botox once every six weeks. And Oh, wow. That's about all we can do. Yeah. Um, and the reason in part why I think I developed this is that I thought I had to be a singer in order to create an opportunity for myself in the music industry. Yeah. Because I really wanted to. I love playing music and I had had a lot of success already even as a kid. But the success I was seeing was as a novelty fiddle show. And okay. I, and I wanted to do something more than that. And it's at that time, YouTube wasn't there. And so I didn't have any examples except for commercial artists. And I didn't want to be Kenny G, which was the only oh, wow. instrumentalist yeah. that I could point to that had a career other than classical musicians. And if you're not familiar with Kenny G, he was widely respected and never <laughs> made fun of for his music in the 90s. Yeah. But, you know, is that the fault of him or the people that were buying it, you know? Like, no, no. But he, he did. I do remember. I do remember he... Uh, in the time we were living in. He, he uh, the news, it, they were covering Kenny G plays like the longest continuous wood wind note for oh, like right. Guinness. I remember Do you remember too, that? Yeah. yeah. And I was, <laughs> and uh, I was thinking like, how is this any different than a CD? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's he's so a, good. He's such a great musician. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's definitely elevator music. You know? Um and not so, something that you probably well, were like Exactly. And so I'm like, what am I gonna do here? And I did like singing, but um the the it didn't come naturally to me in the way that violin did. And um so I started uh, taking a lot of lessons and speaking of of speaking, I'm I'm getting a little parched here, so I'm gonna have some water. Right on, water break. We don't have water break music. Unfortunately. Sponsored by the water company. Yes, um, sponsored by the aquifer. <laughs> so, um, the, the Kenny Dream lessons, right? So I'm I'm here taking violin or voice lessons. So I started singing, and I and I had some good response to begin with actually, which was really cool, but I wasn't able, I was studying classical and, and, and theater and stuff. And it wasn't a commercial sound. The commercial sound was either rock and roll or country music mm -hmm. or maybe artsy like Neil Young or something. Yeah. And I didn't naturally have a voice that was quirky. Um, I had a, I actually have what classical, um, parlance would consider a very large instrument <laughs> oh okay um so if i was to sing tenor music i would be considered a dramatic tenor which is something between a tenor and a baritone so let's see if i can actually um demonstrate some of that so if somebody skipped they're gonna be like who are you interviewing now right like yeah. it's kind of um, bizarre that i'm able to do this and maybe i'll continue trying right now it's freaking myself out the reason why I don't talk in a lower voice all the time is it's not as consistent. And if I speak in a higher tone, it's more pinched. But at least I know that I'll get the words out. Oh, okay. Got it. So <clears throat> when I started studying uh, voice, I, I got really into it. And there is a connection between spasmodic dysphonia and repetitive training. Oh, wow. So... It's it's something that belongs in a medical category of dystonia, and dystonia is a muscle disorder that usually affects one part of your body, and it will 
only attack people that do things like um, archery, musicians, archery being a, a self-directed and independent sport. Yeah. So any anything that's independent like that. So, and you're doing a lot of detailed concentration and repetitive uh, behavior. Okay. So the, the mind actually, I think it becomes hyper aware of itself. Okay. And if you are predisposed genetically, they're, they're finding a, a genetic um, link, you can trigger a condition, a, a set of circumstances, and usually stress has to come into it as well. And all of that happened to me in part because I felt so much pressure to get a career. Because I'm going to leave high school and how am I going to get a career? How am I going to turn this into something? Yeah. And I was raised by entrepreneur an entrepreneur um, who thinks very mathematically and logically. Yeah. And I thought that's how – so I just tried to apply that to art. <laughs> Oops. And I learned a lot in the process. Yeah. Um, and my voice did go away. And I – um, ironically think that my singing now is more interesting than it ever has been. If I wanted to be a classical singer, I'd be dead in the water at this point. Yeah. And I love that, but I never was going to do that direction. So it, it ended up kind of being a gift, but I went through 20 years, actually, I'm 39 now. So it started when I was 18, 19 years old, um, of really not knowing w where my health was going to land and where that was going to work with my career and like all these different aspects of myself that I was juggling in order to continue being a musician. But ultimately it's created, um, art that I never could have manufactured or pursued in itself. I had to live through the experiences. And now when I play music, it's imbued in the sound and the vibration. Yeah, I would agree a hundred percent. Um, kind of to bring it back to loop around to your looping experience. Mm -hmm. That's another tool that you've really kind of like figured out how to nail. Can you talk about what your decision was, how, how you moved into that? Cause I would imagine it wasn't just like a, a sudden thing. I'm sure that you were using it, figuring out that it was going to help in certain circumstances. And now you have a full band sound coming out of your violin right with, on. with a single one single loop pedal. Yeah. Yeah. Just a single, a single track um, looper. Um, so yeah, anyone that doesn't know what looping is, it's recording yourself live and then playing it back live and then recording another part on top of it and, yes. and continuing and continuing. And um, the, the impetus for that basically came because I, every project that started to almost break through fell apart because what's worse than what? the difficulty of being a single musician doing that with other musicians. Yeah. Then every, you just multiplied your, your difficulty. Yes. And, um, and that's why bands generally don't stay together for, for that long. And even if they're successful, they can still have trouble, um, staying together. If there's so much complexity and if, if people were gifted the opportunity and it's beginning to happen more and more to understand more what's happening behind the scenes, I think it would help everyone because artists have, have had to face the stuff that most people are able to ignore in their lives because mm -hmm. you can go to work and you can sort of just push, you know, the boss annoying, whatever, but I'll have the weekend, you know, and then I'll, and I'll get my paycheck and musicians don't really have the luxury of either of those things. No. So you really have to dig deep. Um, and as a result, I, for me, I was like, well, I'm kind of tired of having bands break up. And so, um, 
I actually started playing as a solo violin player. So I was playing entirely solo original compositions. Okay. And that came because I went through a whole bunch of meditation practice and, and actually formal training and energy healing um, in my late 20s in order to try to help my voice. So this is how everything weaves together for me as an artist. And um, I started, my, my teacher at one point said, you know, you can do the healing through your sound as well. You don't actually have to lay your hands on people like Reiki and this kind of thing. That's not what, exactly what I studied, but people know Reiki. Mm-hmm. Um, you, can, you can convey energy else in, through sound. And so I started doing solo playing and I actually had a breakthrough when I was doing my graduate project in India. Uh, I was in uh, Pondicherry, Pondicherry, um, uh, which is was a French colony in India, um, and uh, I was in a in an area called Oroville, which is specifically a uh, um, an international city of peace where many people come together for healing and arts and and environmental development and and innovation, and it's it's really a magical little place. Right on. Um, and there I did a concert without any plans. They asked me when I got there t- and two weeks by the end, I did a concert. Okay. And I had a breakthrough during that period of realizing if I play in just a certain way um, in each moment, then also if I commit without judgment of myself, the improvisations will grow. And even though it's just solo violin, it will have, it will say something. Mm-hmm. And I did this concert and for the first three songs, I didn't open my eyes because I wasn't sure if the audience was going to be there when I did. Okay. <laughs> oh, you literally, you're not I, talking figuratively. No, I literally did that because in India and in that uh, culture in Oroville, you don't applaud between songs. Oh, because okay. Because it, it, it breaks the vibe, to put it, you know, uh, common parlance. Okay. <laughs> um and and the audience is really committed to being there in the moment and the experience. And so I brought that back to North America and I started playing solo concerts and it was good, but it was a lot of work because I had to seek out the people that were interested in that kind of music. Yeah. And that and so I did some house concerts and that was cool, but it was a lot of work and I thought, man, I, I wonder if I can if I can convey this through a looper, because if I do that, I can start, as you mentioned, I can use um, octave pedals and delays and I can start giving people what the the dopamine aspect, oxytocin aspect of being reminded of sounds that they've heard before and music that they like and, and rhythms and bass is really important. Bass and rhythm are, are fundamental um, to our physiology, I think, and then certainly to our music. Yeah. And so as a violin player, you're always in the upper registers. And that's actually a little bit stressing on the human physiology. Usually high pitches and loud mm-hmm. are causes for alarm, yes. not beauty. <laughs> Baby screaming. <laughs> yes. So um, that, those were the reasons why I wanted to move toward the looper. And I very carefully went into it and tried to see, can I do this without losing that spontaneity? And I was actually quite astonished to discover that it works really well. It took me a long time. It took like 18 months or so before I, I did my first actual show or maybe even longer because oh, I would wow. just start and I'd judge myself so I'd leave it for three weeks. Oh, okay, you know? got it. And then go work really hard trying to do some other show and then come come back and, and then I ended up starting getting gigs in bars and, and nightclubs and lounges and stuff and it was really cool to replace the hipster music that was happening in Portland, Oregon, you know, right on. with my own music and people would just be like, yeah, you know, they groove right into it. That was a huge accomplishment for me personally that would mean nothing to other people probably. Um, because 
I'd never seen that. There's no one I could model myself after. Mm -hmm. And, and to be able to be that versatile with an instrument that should invoke alarm yeah <laughs> in someone is it's kind of cool yeah i mean i don't i'm not aware of anybody that does what you do mm -hmm. for sure yeah people like to say andrew bird is is pretty similar um and there's there is some similarities but yeah but he's i, I haven't yeah i he, don't he's his fullness isn't quite thank you yeah you know, that, but that takes a real trained ear to see the difference and mm -hmm. and um uh, you know, he's playing with, usually playing with drums and, um, and he's also filling out his songs with vocals and stuff. So he's not yeah. actually painting a full picture instrumentally. And that's a, a surprisingly significantly huge jump. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, I, that being said, I've heard some of his songs that he is on, on record doing. And yeah. so I don't know how much looping context he does, but he does some beautiful stuff there. Oh yeah. He's an incredible, incredible yeah. musician. And but that, yeah, the violin the connection is more similar. The violin connection, obviously I'm sure people are like, Oh, Andrew Bird, he plays violin too, right, but exactly. he does all sorts of other things. He sings a lot yeah, and he whistles. whistles awesome. Beautifully. Mm -hmm. Um, you might've actually touched on this, but I was going to ask you what lessons have you learned that you wish you would have known 20 years ago? Oh, that's, that's an awesome question. And being the artist that I am, um, you, I can't really separate, um, my life from, from my art and my art is, and I think all real art is the most honest expression of where you're at and who you are mm -hmm. possible. And so I can't really take back things that happen in my life without saying I take back what the song that I just played. Butterfly effect. Yeah. That's a good you know, point. So I'm not trying to be like overly heady about it, but, um, you know, I, I'm curious what my kids might, their experience will be like, because they're going to have, I can't even imagine the difference because I, I don't have full perspective of myself as a child and mm. what the impact of the people around me was having in that developmental stage. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> And, you know, I just hope that I, well, from what I've gained from music makes me feel pretty confident that as a parent, I'll be able to imbue things that will allow them to have a really healthy life or, or a much larger head start on having a full life, whether they're musicians or not, because that's what music ultimately teaches. So you're less concerned about going back in time and giving yourself advice and more concerned about taking the lessons that you've learned and trying to give a head start to the next generation. Is that what I'm hearing? Actually, yeah. And that yeah. surprises me because, in a way because I never – it was a recent revelation in my own healing process where when I started to realize that I have value, which is literally in the last year and a half, where – I fundamentally know that as opposed to as long as I'm playing shows, yeah, I must be doing okay. Um, oh, I see what you're saying. You know, that's what we kind of get conditioned into as performing artists. And when that gets taken away completely, like it did with the, the lockdowns, um, that's just, that's chaos hundred percent in a, in an artist. Um, but anyway, it, once again, the, the, the development of personal perseverance that you gain as an artist allowed, um, myself and many other musicians to cultivate new things. And for me personally, I went through a period of realizing, wait, I am good enough in who I am, period. And somehow in conversation with my wife, who's a wonderful thinker and philosopher and healer, um, we had this 
brainstorm moment, this epiphany where we just realized, wait a second, we can actually rely on this as something we can pass on to our children. Mm-hmm. This is, this isn't like a thing that we fleetingly have or, um, hope to keep in our lives. It's, it's like physically part of who we are now. And no matter what I'm doing, you know, there, there's, I won't go on that tangent. I was just, um, no matter what I'm doing, what I've learned in music will apply. And so, yeah, I hope that it, it turns into, it, it certainly gave me a lot more excitement for having kids again. Right on. That. For a long you don't time, have, I was feeling discouraged. You don't have any, but that's no that's a part right. of your that's the future. future plans. Yeah. I was going to ask you that too. Oh, really? um, uh, what are your future, or what role do goals even play in life for you? I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on that. That's very cool. Um, I think that I've learned a lot about backing away from goals mm-hmm. because personally I was um, very driven as a kid. And so that I almost became um, conditioned into relying on goals and judging myself really harshly to the point that it affected my health. Yeah. And uh, absolutely that's what's going on in my voice and in my nervous system. And so um, for me, goals are pretty inherent uh, in that I don't have to think about them distinctly. I just, every day I'm trying to have a full day where I can um, have the energy to practice my violin, play music, even if it's, I don't have a performance to look forward to. Yeah. Um, and that um, I feel well emotionally. I've been given so many little goals to have to deal with constantly that I haven't had time to think about bigger goals at this point. And so far, I think that's, that's a wise um, teacher. Right on. Well, if you couldn't do music, what would you do instead, do you think? Uh, real estate. So it, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you pick the one. Go to the nobody, opposite no, problem. Nobody goes, ask their realtor. Value to like, for nothing. Yeah. Can you sell me this house with no commissioner? Because there's going to be a bunch of people around. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. There's a lot of people interested in this house. Yeah. So it's really going to improve your real estate uh, firm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. So real estate. <laughs> Got it. No, but seriously, do you, do you, is there yeah, anything fair else? Fair enough. That, I can give you a real answer. Yeah. Is there anything else that um, you'd be interested in doing besides yeah, music? Yeah, it, it, it's definitely um, would have to um, revolve around healing um, and spiritual um, development, which has to be practical. I can go very esoteric about it, but um, the more I've grown into it, the more it's very practical. And my wife is the best example I can give of it. And she's running that podcast, Anxious and Awesome, yeah. which I believe was on your show yes. at some point. Will be. Oh, will be. Yeah. Oh, okay. We did record a podcast. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure if you had released it yet. Um, so she's she's out there turning her passion into um, help for others. And that's a huge part of my life as well. Anxiety, stress. How do we how do we overcome those things so that we grow as a human being, and um, and so regardless, I would be able to do that. And right I would love it, and that is ultimately also what I consider myself to be doing as a musician. I think that was a really solid point that you made even early on, which kind of went into the goals question that I had. Just making sure that you're that you're happy first mm-hmm. before you start chasing after what you think you want because when you get there to make you have yeah when you get there like you don't know what it's going to look like but you do know what you can do today yeah and being in the moment is is super important and obviously like you know 
it feels good to create things. It feels good to record music. It feels good to record a podcast. It feels good to send that stuff out mm-hmm. there. Um, but you want to enjoy it for what it is mm-hmm. rather than what you foresee it might be somewhere down the line that you don't necessarily have control over. I agree with that completely. Yeah. You got you to gotta enjoy life now and not think that it's going to be better later if you do X, Y, Z, man. Because otherwise you might not be able to get it done and you might miss something really awesome or some yeah. other opportunity that you that's outside of your goal that might fit you perfectly. And the thing that I think people will need to hear in that as well is finding the th- finding just exploring courageously anything that seems interesting to you yeah you know because when you if you can find something that sparks you which i know a lot of people struggle with and that's the one blessing as of being a musician that we've never had to deal with because you could always turn your instrument and, and have that feeling of connecting outside of your life but if you're stuck doing nine to five it's way harder and so i have a lot of empathy for people that have that feeling and so um it's about releasing judgment while you do something that you find interesting and just follow that and yeah. see where it leads you and then you can then it starts to open into oh this makes me happy yes because you when and you start something lasting. new you're going to be bad at it yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're going to be horrible so just it's okay if think you're about ten- a five-year-old and a violin yeah if you're 10 it's okay you yeah. can pick up the violin yes you can let's we won't, close with that we right? won't judge yeah. all right well thank you so 100%. much for joining uh, for playing for us tyler and also for you. chatting and yeah. uh you thank can go you for to- what you're doing no problem you can go to no, fit- but really, oh, this is a big deal. Like what you've done, you've done the same thing as as an artist does, and you're doing it through communication and and gathering people. And you, this is hundred percent essential. You're the bridge, actually, between what we started talking about, where musicians need to be out, but people need to be willing to hear them. You know, so thank you for what you're doing. Chuck. You're welcome, yeah. and thank you all for listening to music chats that we have on this podcast because it is important to understand the person behind the instrument or behind the whatever they do so um go to fiddleronthe.rock.com to find more performances from tyler Uh, you can go to lowergentrystudios.com if you want to see treasure valley live performances from a ton of local artists as well as fiddler on the rock which we just released and thanks again for joining us we'll see you next week awesome